You are listening to Pokemon Rose, a nostalgic look back at the Pokemon franchise. I want you to come back with me, as we so often do, on a journey into your childhood. But I don't want you to think about the happy times, no, no. I want you to think about the times that you were scared. The times that seemed so dark and so frightening that you never knew if they were going to end. I want you to think about when any story seemed believable. Because today, on Pokemon Rose, on this most auspicious of days, we're going to be talking about the story of Missing No. Now, you may be familiar with Missing No. You may have even heard me talk about it before on a different show. But I want you to think about it in terms of the believability that you had when you were a child when anything could be true. Because if you were like me, and you played Pokemon Red and Blue when you were very young, right around seven, maybe eight years old at the most, you also played Pokemon Red and Blue around a time when the internet wasn't really that available to people. And what that meant was that you couldn't fact-check your friends when they told you things that were probably lies. But the really crazy thing is that sometimes when you would be playing a video game, like Pokemon Red or Blue, and you would be listening to one of these stories, you would actually encounter the story that you had heard. And when that was true, suddenly you wondered if everything else that you heard could be true. What if there was a Pokemon that didn't exist? A creepy, weird glitch in the system. Something that was never meant to be created and yet existed all the same. Well, that's where we have the myth of Missing No. That's right. So through a series of glitches and uh, kind of weird, uh, frankly, uh, <laughs> poorly put together code, I'm sorry, Pokemon Red and Blue, but that's just the way it was. There was a glitch that you could use to effectively get infinite items in Pokemon Red and Blue. And the way that you did this was you encountered a Pokemon that technically didn't exist within the code of the game, hence the name Missing No or Missing Number. What would happen is, if you went through this series of uh, seemingly kind of obtuse steps by talking to the old man in Viridian City, having him show you how to catch a Pokemon, and then flying to Cinnabar Island and swimming on the edge of the island, you would encounter a Pokemon that had no set form. It just looked like a jumbled mess of glitches and pixels, and it was called Missing No. And if you tried to catch it, your game would freeze, your game would glitch. Uh, the Hall of Fame at the, at the Pokemon League would be forever altered with glitchy Pokemon. Um, and basically, you would run into issues throughout that save file on the game uh, for as long as you were playing it. This was so dangerous, in fact, and I'm using that in scare quotes, appropriate scare quotes, given the day, given the month, that in Nintendo Power and on other Nintendo hotlines, they actually deeply warned you against doing this because they said that it could, it could corrupt your game. Well, that's a scary word, corrupt. You mean this glitch, this thing that should not have existed could corrupt my game? What a nightmare. 
And if you're paying attention to the words I'm using, you may have picked up on the fact that this reality in Pokemon Red and Blue, this true campfire story, was the story that launched a thousand creepypastas. And I would argue, probably started more or less all of the video game creepypasta uh, lore and stories that came out since the mid to late 2000s. I think what's so cool about this story is that it seems impossible. It seems ridiculous, right? This simple act of a game <laughs> kind of not being rushed, but having a lot of uh, technical issues led to this thing that is so weirdly consonant with the world of the game that you kind of can't believe that it's real, and yet there it is. It is, for all intents and purposes, a creepypasta that's actually true. So let me kind of back up, right? For those of you who uh, have listened to one of my other podcasts, uh, Studying Pixels, you'll kind of know this information, but I want to run down very briefly um, what's happening in the game, and then I want to talk about what is so cool about this and why it makes the uh, kind of para-storytelling of Pokemon so interesting. So first, I mentioned how you do it, right? So there's the old man in Viridian City. If you talk to him, he'll show you how to catch a Pokemon, and then if you fly to Cinnabar Island and um, surf on the edge of the island, you'll run into the Pokemon. So what's happening in the game? Well, it's really interesting because when you go to be trained by the old man, the old man uh, sprite replaces the player sprite. So because this happens, the code is kind of written differently, and the game kind of assumes that the old man sprite is going to be in your spot until you leave Viridian City. But it didn't quite work out that way. Because what actually happens is, if you leave Viridian City before you have another encounter with a Pokemon and your sprite resets to red, then it stays as the old man, but it doesn't quite know how to adjudicate the old man being somewhere else in the game. So things get really weird. And so when you fly to Cinnabar Island and you swim, or you surf on the edge of the island, basically the game is saying, okay, well we understand that there's going to be another encounter here, but... Uh, they're not in Viridian City, so, um, so uh, we don't have the code for this. We're, we're missing a number. We're missing numbers. And so when you're surfing along the side of the island, all of a sudden this monstrous kind of uh, amalgamation of pixels shows up. It has a level that shouldn't exist. It's like this weird number or like a letter, like L98 or something like that. Um, and... If you catch it, it'll mess up your game. But if you run away from it, the item in the sixth uh, spot of your inventory will uh, basically glitch out and you'll have an infinite amount of them. So this was how uh, young cheaters <laughs> uh, used to get infinite rare candies and master balls. Um, and in fact, you would have people on the playground resetting their game specifically so that they could keep the master ball so that they could go into the game perform this glitch and have infinite master balls so they could catch every pokemon so why is this so cool well first of all let's talk about the fact that this kind of feels like something that would happen in the world of pokemon right 
because we have the Pokedex, this thing that catalogs Pokemon by numbers, and it has all of their information. And the idea of a spooky outsider Pokemon that doesn't exist is kind of the whole plot of Pokemon Red and Blue. I've talked about this in previous episodes, but the sub kind of uh, read between the lines plot of the first game is that Mewtwo is being created through genetic experimentation, and we have Ditto as a kind of failed result of that, and who knows what else has happened in the world of Pokemon. So it stands to reason that if you encountered this thing missing no, you know that there's all of this experimentation going on. What if this thing was another failed Mewtwo clone, or what if it was a failed experiment completely unrelated to cloning the Pokemon Mew? It really gets your mind going, especially when you also know that death and ghosts exist in the world of Pokemon. And I bring this up not just to be spooky, but because there was another, even rarer glitch that would happen sometimes where if you were an unlucky kid like me, you would see a horrifying skeletal Kabutops sprite. I urge you to look this up because I'm not sure, it hasn't been confirmed if this was a uh, like a, a prior sprite that they were going to use or if it was just kind of a, a mix-up, but you would see this really creepy looking Pokemon because Missing No wasn't always just a kind of collection of glitches and weird pixels. Sometimes it would look like a Pokemon you recognized, and sometimes it would look like a Pokemon you recognize, but weird and creepy. And so, all of a sudden, the entire lore of the game that you've been playing makes this true glitch, this mistake in the game's code, seem like something that you have stumbled upon without anyone's permission, and you're going to pay for it later down the line. It's really effective in a way that no one intended, which I think makes it very special. So the reason why I find this to be so important, so formative, is that this mistake did two things. One, it opened the mind of kids playing Pokemon to the possibility that all of the playground myths were real. Maybe Mew was under the truck. Maybe there was a way to get to Johto. Maybe there was all of these things that people had been talking about that seemed impossible. Because you would sit there and say to yourself, well, Missing No was real. What else could be true in this game? And a world where mystery and excitement and adventure were part and parcel with the storytelling, it became so much deeper by this one little mistake because all of a sudden anything could be true and what was so cool about that is that the pokemon company and game freak embraced that in a way that i think is very fun so in later games you can point out any number of examples of weird and creepy things happening in the pokemon world and maybe just maybe they're glitches or maybe it's something that only you stumbled upon and you dreamt it, or did you? I'm thinking of the, uh, the seeming apparition that you see in the lab in Pokemon X and Y, or the troubling story of cast form <laughs> and what the hell cast form is. Maybe I'll go into that in another episode. But there are all of these little things, these little kind of 
uh, creepy hints that come out of nowhere in the Pokemon world that really serve as, uh, I would say, a deeper intrigue into the possibilities and the mysteries of this universe. Not so much in a uh, mythopoeic sense, like I've talked about in our Arceus episode, but more so in a, this is a world fleshed out with people who have been living here for thousands of years, and their campfire stories have become our campfire stories, because we're interacting with their world, and we see it for what it is, and sometimes the way that we see it is just as distorted as the way that they see it. I think one of the things that I love so much about the Pokemon world are the ghost Pokemon. Um, and I want to talk briefly about how fun they are and how they exist, I think, as a, uh, I guess, like a little exercise for the writers or the developers to have fun in the world of Pokemon and uh, kind of um, stretch that muscle that was formed with Missing No. So ghost Pokemon have always been a favorite of mine because I love the spooky time of year. I love Halloween. I love horror stories. And so Gengar, um, the Gengar line, Ghastly, Haunter, and Gengar, were always some of my favorites, even when I was a kid. In fact, I had a Haunter in my party when I encountered Missing No for the first time. And what I love about these guys is that in later Pokemon games, ghost Pokemon will have really kind of troubling Pokedex entries, like uh, Phantump is a kid who died in the forest, a, a kind of missing spirit. Pretty dark. Or you'll have, um, let's see, uh, I mean, Drifloon is pretty terrifying. Drifloon, the idea of this kind of weird balloon that takes children by extending its hand and just floating away with them. Um, there's a lot of spirit Pokemon that seem to be trying to, uh, well, let's say, um, recruit for their ranks amidst the children of the Pokemon world. Pretty creepy stuff. But it started pretty innocently with ghostly, I'm sorry, ghastly Haunter and Gengar. Um, and I love these guys because it's not clear in the original game if all uh, go if all Pokemon become these ghosts, or if these are kind of separate entities unto themselves. Because when we go to Lavender Town in Pokemon Red and Blue, we go to the Pokemon Tower, and before we're uh, equipped with the self-scope, we only see these kind of horrible specters that are said to be the spirits of the Pokemon that are buried there. When we get the self-scope, they're revealed to be Ghastlies and Haunters. No Gengars there, but Ghastlies and Haunters for sure. And then later, though, we see the ghost of Marowak, uh, the ghost of Cubone's mother, right? The Marowak that had been killed by Team Rocket. So that appears to be a ghost of a Pokemon, too, kind of retaining its, its form as it did as a Pokemon. So <laughs> it kind of raises the question, are Ghastly and Haunter just like, weirdos? Who are these guys? It doesn't really matter because they're spooky and their Pokedex entries are all about how they love to cause mischief. They're like poltergeists, right? They exist in these places that um, are associated with death and associated with the afterlife and spirits. 
And they just kind of, um, I don't know if you want to say they prey on people, but they kind of mess with people. And I think that's hilarious because for as many Pokemon as there are that represent um, different types of animals in the real world or um, phenomenon, phenomena, I should say, um, it seems that the Gengar line kind of just exists as a play on people's fears and uh, distress about death and the afterlife, which is a really fun idea to the point where uh, when we meet Agatha in the Elite Four, uh, she's a pretty dastardly character, and she really seems to have embraced not death necessarily, but mischief and kind of the, uh, the, the fearful unknown of the afterlife. And of course she has uh, Gengars aplenty, right? So I'm going to talk more in next, uh, next time's episode about some of the more particular ghost Pokemon. But I wanted to give this quick um, connection that I want you to keep in your mind before we go into that, because I do definitely want to talk about them. I think that the ghost Pokemon, Ghastly Haunter and Gengar, are more related to Missing No than we think. And the reason I say this is because Lavender Town and the ghosts that inhabit it and Missing No on the coast of Cinnabar Island inhabit, I think, a very similar space in our minds, namely the space of folklore, uh, superstition, and campfire stories. These are things that when somebody tells you about them, whether it's ghosts or a town that seems haunted where horrible things happen, or a glitch in a game that doesn't seem like it should exist, you kind of scoff at it, right? The people in the world of Pokemon scoff at the idea of ghosts, and yet they coexist with them. <laughs> they live with Ghastly Hunter and Gengar. Likewise, we think that the missing no glitch is silly when we first hear it, and yet then we encounter it, and all of a sudden, if that's real, something else could be real too. So without meaning to, in that first generation, the creators of Pokemon allowed for this world of spookiness and creepiness and exploration in a way that appeals to a different type of person. Uh, because there's just as many people who play Pokemon looking for those creepy connections throughout the world and the different regions as there are people who are looking for comfortable adventures with cute Pokemon. So. Without missing, no, I don't think the cultural landscape would look quite the way it does today with creepypastas and other spooky games. And I know for certain that Pokemon wouldn't look the same because of that one mistake that opened the world of possibility to all kinds of creepiness. Now, before I let you go, I just want to ask, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in missing, no? I believe in ghosts. But then again that white hand on your shoulder. Maybe I'm just imagining that. <laughs>